Welcome to Alabama AgCast, a weekly conversation about news and issues affecting Alabama farmers and forest landowners. Alabama AgCast is produced by the Alabama Farmers Federation. Hello and welcome to this week's Alabama AgCast. I'm your host, Mike Moody. On this week's AgCast, we hear from the Department of External Affairs, that would be Brian Harden, Preston Roberts, and Russ Durrance, on a wrap-up of the legislative session for 2023. Hello, this is Brian Harden, Director of External Affairs with the Alabama Farmers Federation, and pleased to bring you a wrap-up of the 2023 legislative session. Today, here with Russ Durrance and Preston Roberts, part of our legislative lobbying team at the Federation, I want to share a little bit about the uh, successes that we've had as an organization. I think we're, we're super excited about the, the session that we had on behalf of the members of the Alabama Farmers Federation. Russ, why don't you kick us off and tell us a little bit about uh, some of those victories that we saw. Yeah, Brian, it's uh, certainly been a fun year with our team back again at the State House. But uh, last week when we were able to join at the State House, or maybe it was two weeks ago we got on video at the State House, uh, we still had a couple of more things that we were trying to work through and, and get past. And one of those issues, Brian, was a driver's license bill that helped ensure that some of our, our guest workers that come into the state, whether H-2A workers, folks like that, that they're able to get an Alabama driver's license if they qualify. We had had issues with some of those folks getting delayed getting here, getting into the state of Alabama, and Aaliyah had had an old uh, rule that basically if you had less than 160 days in the state of Alabama, you couldn't get a license. Uh, so happy to have that bill through final passage. That was Van Smith carried that one for us, and Billy Beasley championed it for us in the Senate, but happy to have that one passed. And then let me just jump yep. in. One of the great things about that, I know we just had a labor summit yep. here at the home office. And Blake Thaxton, who's director of our uh, Alabama Fruit and Vegetable Growers Association, as well as our Greenhouse Search Inside Division, obviously those areas see a lot of labor needs, but we're also seeing that expand into a lot of other commodities. We actually had some, some farmers that day say, hey, this is an issue, this is a challenge, and we were able to, to kind of rally and work together with great sponsors, like you said, and, and get that done. So I just wanted to, to yeah. throw that in there as well. Yeah, well, similar to the driver's license bill, we passed earlier in the session, we helped uh, work on legislation that uh, strengthened our checkoff programs in both the peanut checkoff as well as the sheep and goat checkoff, basically modernizing those programs, modernizing some of the reporting requirements and ensuring that those uh, checkoff programs benefited the producers who were paying those checkoff dollars uh, more than they were previously. So again, something that came from the policy book, something that came from our members and an issue that they had that we said, you know what, let's go find us some sponsors to carry it. And uh, happy that uh, Josh Carnley, Senator Josh Carnley and Representative Jennifer Fiddler, uh, both peanut farmers come from peanut farm families, were able to help us get that in the final passage. But to be honest, uh, when we came into session, Brian, uh, it was fast-paced, things were moving. We got into the ARPA, uh, American Rescue Plan Act, working on some of those dollars, and that peanut checkoff bill really kind of piggybacked and, and, and tucked in behind and was and was bump drafting, if you will, uh, behind a municipal livestock ordinance bill that was very important uh, to members of the Alabama legislature. And, and Preston did a great job working on that one for us. Preston, tell us about that bill. Yeah, that bill was really one that uh, I think is really going to be important uh, to a lot of our members, especially as we've seen cities kind of encroach out into rural areas. What the bill did was limit what cities could do as far as their ordinances that they passed related to livestock running at large. An example would be a farm that is in the city limits 
and you have a city that has an ordinance that says if your livestock gets out, if it's outside of the fence, you are liable under that city ordinance and you could be prosecuted. And so what this bill did was say that cities cannot pass more restrictive ordinances uh, than the state law can. So I think that's really going to be helpful, especially to our farmers who are trying to farm within the city limits. And we've seen that really in the last few years. You get more of that interface between the cities and the rural areas where our farmers are. And, you know, I'm thinking about the, uh, the police jurisdiction bill that Senator Elliott had worked on, and we saw that kind of play out for us. I know you had worked on that a little bit earlier. Why don't you share a little bit about how that has kind of played out this year and what we've seen with the implementation of, of that after the, the grace period? Mm-hmm. So the original uh, bill that limited police jurisdictions, and that what a police jurisdiction is, is extraterritorial ju- jurisdiction. So cities exercising powers outside of the corporate limit. So you've got a city limit, and most of the time it's tied to population. And so if you've got a population over a certain amount, you could have jurisdictions extending five miles past the corporate limits. And this includes farms and residents and people that don't get to vote in the city. They have no representation within the city. And so it's really uh, uh, taxation and regulation without representation. And so we have been opposed as an organization. We've got clear policy that says we oppose police jurisdictions. And two years ago, Senator Chris Elliott from down Baldwin County introduced a bill um, to bring those back. Um, and to also create a reporting. And if cities did not report um, the taxes that they were collecting and how they were spending those taxes back in that police jurisdiction, then they had to move their police jurisdictions back to the corporate limit. The reporting period came and went, and over 150 municipalities did not report and lost their uh, police jurisdiction privileges. Obviously, you know, cities reached out to their representatives. Hey, we've got to have our police jurisdictions. It's going to cost us money. And so we did see a little bit of renewed effort by a few representatives to try to bring back police jurisdictions in several areas. Thankfully, we were able to push back. Uh, Representative Reed Ingram, who chairs county municipal government, really helped us out there in trying to push back against some of those efforts. But, uh, but a real big win there as it relates to police jurisdictions. Absolutely. Well, kind of switching gears because the next piece of legislation I want us to kind of visit about maybe was a little bit out of the norm of what we would have normally expected to work on. And it's this concept of environmental social governance and really other criteria where you get into, and and we've seen this uh, nationally, certainly internationally, not so much at home yet, but being proactive on this issue to say, all right, company A or Farmer uh, A, uh, B, John Doe, whoever, you've got to abide by certain criteria by this list. You've got to show that um, you are environmentally friendly in, in, in a certain way, that you don't use a certain amount of fossil fuels. It could be a, a litany of, of different criteria that a company is expected to abide by or that potentially a farm one day would have to abide by for them to receive maybe benefit from a certain program, a loan, um, you name it. It could be a lot of things. So seeing this uh, in other states, um, seeing it get its foothold in maybe kind of the financial world in some ways, um, Senator Dan Roberts from Mountain Brook sponsored a bill to try to get ahead of that. 
Um, so maybe, you know, Russ, from your perspective a little bit, talk a little bit about how that kind of played out and your perspective on that, why you think that's important for us and going forward for our, for our members. Well, it is certainly a tough issue, Brian, um, and it's one that I think a lot of people, if you really get into it and you study it, maybe you've heard, you know, the letters ESG before, and maybe you know a little bit about it, but you're not really sure how it affects you, how it impacts you, how it may work. And I, and I think we ran into that, and we saw Senator Dan Roberts maybe run into that sometimes too, trying to explain the bill and explain what it did. But, um, you know, there is this fear out there that, you know, farmers at some point may not be able to go out and get a loan because of the industry in which they're, they're involved in or other issues like that, um, folks trying to get involved in the governance structure of your farm. Um, but seeing that bill come through, basically, if I was to recap that bill, I would say that it ensures that um, folks are able to operate kind of at a status quo, that folks are not going to be able to come in and put uh, burdensome regulations or rules or restrictions on your business that are outside of your ordinary business practices. You know, if your job is to invest or if your job is to, to farm or something like that, you're not going to be told exactly how to do every, every single little thing in your business. So I, I do think it is a step in the right direction. I think it protects our members. I think it protects us as a company. Um, and I think it helps us protect kind of the values that our members believe in here in Alabama. So I think it's a great bill for our members. I agree. Appreciate Senator Roberts being willing to carry that and really have to do a lot of educating. And I would say for our members, really the best opportunity to learn more about that. We try to put some good information in our Capital Connection newsletter each week. I know Attorney General Steve Marshall um, even testified before the House Oversight uh, Committee in Congress. So there are some things um, that, that hopefully our members will avail themselves of that I think we'll continue to hear more on this, uh, this issue. It's never a dull day on the farm, especially when your day starts before the sun comes up. We're Alabama Ag Credit, and while some don't get it, we do. As the local experts in rural real estate financing, we've helped farmers finance everything from homes and land to tractors and crops. Because sometimes your natural resources need financial resources. Switching gears again, another thing that we spend a lot of time on are the budgets. So the, the state has a general fund budget to cover everything but education and the education trust fund. We file a lot of things in that budget um, to make sure that those are at the level of funding that, that we support or that our friends um, ask us to help them to support. Um, sometimes we have some new things, maybe sometimes it's more uh, preserving some of those things. But I know we did have uh, one new thing in trying to, to work with um, our friends in the education community to really look at how do we help young people truly be prepared after high school. So Russ, you were right in the middle of, of that discussion, um, both from a policy perspective and also from a funding. Tell us about college and career readiness. Yeah, so college and career readiness is kind of this idea that really has kind of been shaped the last couple of years when you look at what happened with COVID and, and, and kids leaving school, um, you've got a lot of schools out there across the state of Alabama, Brian, that are not necessarily uh, focused each and every single day on getting the student ready when they graduate from high school on either being college ready or career ready. And it used to be a requirement in order to graduate from high school, but kind of we've gone away from that. But now um, the State Department of Education earlier this year passed some uh, rules that students would have to be college or career ready, meet one of these indicators um, of college and career readiness by, I believe, 2028. And uh, Representative and, and, and Chairwoman Terry Collins from uh, Morgan County brought some legislation, House Bill 109, that helped 
uh, kind of speed that process up a little bit and strengthen the college and career readiness program. But one of the biggest issues that the State Department of Education ran into when working on this rulemaking was ensuring that some of your more rural schools, some of your schools that didn't have as many financial resources would be able to meet the college and career readiness standards that were going to be put on them. So in the state budget in the ETF, there was $15 million that will go into a grant program for these schools to apply. So you think about a rural school, maybe down in Wilcox County or something like that, they're going to be able to apply for a grant program to allow them to maybe put in a new metal shop class or a welding class or put in tutoring programs for kids to do better on their ACTs. Whatever that school thinks will allow them to meet the college and career readiness criteria, this grant program will help allow them. So kind of, kind of a good way to see the process work, Brian, when you think about the State Department of Education putting in a rule, putting in a process and folks saying, well, we've got to make sure we can meet it. The goal is not to just enforce a rule. We need to meet the, we need to meet the expectation. And uh, our, our budget chairman followed that up strongly by putting this grant process in there so that we can achieve that and we can see better results for our students in Alabama. And we certainly appreciate Senator Arthur Orr and Chairman um, Danny Garrett in the House for their support of that. Another thing that we're very appreciative uh, to them for that our members are extremely passionate about is FFA. And uh, now Speaker of the House, Nathaniel Ledbetter, uh, opened a, a door of opportunity last year. Preston, tell us about that and, and how that's going. Yeah, so last year, as you mentioned, uh, Speaker Ledbetter uh, added about $275,000 for FFA memberships. This is a program that, like you said, is very important to us, very important to our members. And I think it even goes along with workforce development that you're talking about. It is one of those programs that develops students to be capable in a workforce, teaches them not only about agriculture, but it teaches them how to be employable, how to do things the right way. And so uh, we are excited to see that uh, line item renewed for another year. And, uh, and I was actually just talking with uh, the FFA state advisor, and he said after that line item was introduced last year that in every category they saw increases, some over 100% increases in participation in those activities and those competitions at a state level. So we are seeing the benefits of that investment by the state of Alabama. And quickly, which is pretty exciting. We don't always see things happen so quickly as the turnaround has, has happened for for FFA, but I think the tra trajectory is only going to be uh, straight up from, from here on. Matter of fact, we got a, a request from a, another state, fellow Farm Bureau, had, who was very interested in what all we had done um, with FFA. And i also take a moment here quickly to, to brag on Preston right here, who will be inducted into the FFA Wall of Honor. Appreciate all his work that he's done on that. Um, let's back up and kind of wrap up the, the big picture of, of the session. Of course, we focus very much on the priorities of the Alabama Farmers Federation. There are a lot of moving parts that are going on all around us uh, during that time. Russ mentioned the American Rescue Plan Act, which was the last of the COVID funds that were appropriated during the special session. We supported the economic incentive package uh, early on. But we watched the, the legislature um, debate Pretty, pretty late into the early morning hours on several other provisions. Why don't we hit a few of, of, of those things that we see in the budget that's a little unique because of all the additional money that we had. You want to kick us off for us kind of on some of the school infrastructure uh, grant program? Yeah. 
So again, we've seen uh, obviously huge influx, influxes of, of money coming into the state of Alabama through ARPA, ARPA and through COVID, um, and it has led to massive receipts uh, for both our general fund as well as our education trust fund budgets. And uh, it brought up this debate, Brian, pretty early on of what are we doing with rebates? We've got all this extra money. We've got this supplemental. What are we going to do with all of the extra money? Um, and one of the unique things, uh, after the House and the Senate and the governor all kind of went back and forth debating on rebates, uh, they came up with basically an education plan for infrastructure. And it's something we hear about all the time from our members, often when you know rural counties are looking at the infrastructure of their school systems and their and their school buildings. They say, well, we need to, you know, we think we maybe we need to raise property taxes or we need to do this or that. Well, the legislature has backed that up once again with helping to combat that idea of raising taxes by implementing this program that will allow for, again, school systems to apply and work on programming that will allow them to put in new infrastructure in their counties. So I think this will help our members. I think it will steady some of those conversations. And I think uh, it's another good um, sign or good effort by those in power and those in leadership uh, in the Alabama legislature of using taxpayer dollars responsibly. Yeah. Um, it is, I, I hear uh, Chairman Danny Garrett in the House say all the time um, in several of his committee meetings that often when you have the most money, you make the worst decisions financially. Yeah. And uh, they have certainly tried to make sure that they're not making poor decisions. And I think their leadership and what they're doing and spending uh, the state's dollars on certainly back that up. And that'll be a program overseen by Lieutenant Governor Ainsworth. And then kind of the, the last remaining big topic that was out there with the legislature was the reduction of the grocery tax. Why don't we just kind of hit, you know, where did that end up? Rebates, savings, what the legislature did um, to address all of that. Yeah, like, like Russ said, they had a tremendous amount of money um, and they had a lot of decisions to make. There were people that expected tax cuts, I think rebates as well, and there is a certain group that wanted to save it, which I think all three of those are reasonable things to do when you have a surplus like the state of Alabama had. And so they really looked hard at the grocery tax and, uh, and reducing the amount of taxes that um, Alabamians are paying on there. We're only one of several states that still fully tax groceries. And so where they landed uh, was reducing the grocery tax by percentage starting in September. And then if the education trust fund budget grows by 3.5%, reducing it another percentage at that time. And so reducing the, the total percentage by half um, under certain conditions. Yeah. And I think just a reminder for our members and really for everybody where this may get confusing is that this is just for the state income tax portion. So you got 4% or excuse me, sales tax portion. So you got 4% for the state and then the locals would still have whatever there. So, uh, you know, I would say it's been an outstanding session, not only for us, but I, I do think our, our leadership of the legislatures be to be commended for the work that, that they did. They had a lot to, to balance. There is a lot that we've not even talked about in this, this kind of update. Well, we wrapped up one session, but we're already looking at the possible next one, whether that's a special or, or a regular session that will be next. One issue that looms is uh, is gambling, as it seems to continue to to loom. Um, Russ, we've got a policy, correct, on sure on gambling. Do. So, what would you say to our members as we kind of look at uh, the off season, so to speak, and and the conversations uh, they should be having with their representatives and senators? Yeah. I think gambling is certainly going to be a big topic, Brian. Um, 
you know, as we kicked off this legislative session and even talking more throughout the session to our members, one of the biggest issues um, that was talked about was all the freshmen coming in. I think the House had maybe close to 31 and the Senate had, uh, I guess, maybe six freshmen coming in in the Senate. And you had new leadership in, in Speaker Nathaniel Ledbetter. You had a new House Majority Leader in Scott Stotthagen uh, there in the House. And it was evident very quickly um, that although gambling is still a big topic in the Alabama legislature, it was not going to be taken up this year. And we saw that. Uh, there was a little bit of gambling uh, kind of talked about here toward the tail end, but the House stood firm and said we're not going to take it up. But um, they've kind of doubled down on that. It, it, it doesn't mean that they're not going to take it up soon uh, because Speaker Ledbetter has um, started kind of a, a small committee to study the gambling issue, to look at whether it be lottery, sports betting, um, dealing with the Porch Creek Indians maybe down uh, in South Alabama, or even full-on comprehensive gaming. Um, the idea is out there. But the idea, I think, this year for the 2023 session was that we don't need to look at it this year. We need to study it further and come in with something better and a, and a strong game plan. Um, and so I think if I was to tell our members something, Brian, I think it's that um, we've got to stay firm. We need to reaffirm our policy position to elected officials as we see them in the off season, whether they're coming to county annual meetings or we're going to have lunch with them. Um, we need to make sure that they know where we are because this is going to be a big topic in the off season and something that I think we will address head on, uh, if not at the beginning of next session, potentially maybe even in a special session before they go back in in February. So it is a big topic that, that we will have to face. With that, uh, thank you. We appreciate your time to, to listen, to engage with us during this legislative session. As always, we are here and available to you. We hope that you will reach out to us as we begin our policy development process this summer at county annual meetings. We know there'll be a lot of discussion that could impact future legislative sessions. We again appreciate uh, the leadership of the House and the Senate, the budget chairs, all the members that, that work so well with us this year. But thank you most of all to you members and what you do every day for us. And now, your weekly Ag Cash wrap up. In the wrap up today, Farmers and property owners received a major win May 25th when the Supreme Court significantly reduced the scope of the Clean Water Act in Sackett v. Environmental Protection Agency, or EPA, case. All nine justices agreed EPA's significant nexus test, the agency's tool to assert more authority over private land, was an overreach. The Alabama Farmers Federation and farm groups across the country have sought clear, concise water regulation for years. Rules set in 2015 and 2023 created vague boundaries allowing federal regulation over vast areas of land they called water. The 2023 rule officially remains on the books but is not enforceable by EPA and the Army Corps of Engineers. American Farm Bureau Federation litigation in Texas and North Dakota challenging the Clean Water Act will likely toss the rule, causing the Biden administration to propose new, scaled-back regulations. For more information about this story, please visit the news section of alphafarmers.org. Alabama AgCast is sponsored by our friends at Alabama AgCredit. Give them a call for all your farm and land financing needs. For more information about today's conversation, check out the show notes or visit alphafarmers.org slash agcast. Be sure to follow Alabama Farmers Federation on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. Tune in next week for another timely conversation from Alabama AgCast.